It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello, welcome back to Odds Business Australia's only live streaming business and markets channel. It's great to have your company. It's just gone midday and of course that is time for the call where we take a look at 10 stocks through the eyes of two experts and uh, give you some guidance on where the market is seeing them go and uh, uh, of course those stocks are suggested by you. So uh, thank you for sending them in. Really interesting um, bunch today. We've got energy stocks, we've got travel stocks, we've got some big end miners, some education telcos. So quite a diverse group of stocks that we look at as usual. And of course, uh, we always look forward to catching up with our two expert panellists for the day on the call. Uh, welcome back to Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Koshi. Had a good week? I have. Since we last spoke? I have. Terrific. It's been very good. Survived another weekend of isolation? <laughs> oh, yeah, I played tennis on the weekend, which is oh, nice. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Went for lots oh, of walks. you're a tennis player, are yep. you? Yep. Uh, I'm an excuse of a tennis player. Oh, okay. But I was playing doubles. We're only allowed to play singles now, so that's been uh, a bit of a shock. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bit more energetic. It is a bit. It? All right. Uh, so Mark, of course, is an old stager here on uh, on the call, uh, and we've got a um, uh, a virgin call uh, panellist, uh, Mark, in Rod Bristow, the Chief Executive of Climb Investment Management. Uh, Rod, great to have you aboard. Welcome to the call. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, and Mark, have you got any advice for Rod? Um, well, uh, what have I got advice? Well, I think um, uh, try and stay to the point, be, be accurate, insightful and controversial. Gee, uh, that's interesting, Rod, because Mark is neither of <laughs> or nothing of all of those. <laughs> but it's great to have you aboard and uh, look forward to getting your thoughts on our stocks as we go through them today. Bit of change of uh, pace. Yes, you um, sent through the 10 stocks, which we'll get to shortly, but but um, uh, let's call this a captain's call. Um, I thought each day we'd, uh, with the call, we'd kick off with the stock that's been in the news and see where, what our expert panel think of it. So our stock of the day today, of course, is James Hardy, which has um, deferred their dividend. Um, and let's put James Hardy to, uh, to the panel to see what that tells us about the stock and the future. Uh, Rod Bristow, um, what do you think of James Hardy in this environment? Yeah, future, very uncertain, obviously. I think some of the things that we like about James Hardy, are relatively low operating leverage. So you know, quite a high proportion of their costs are variable. They've been pretty assertive in cutting costs under the new CEO, particularly with the onset of the virus. And 
with the announcement this morning about the, the adjusted uh, net operating profit after tax, uh, an increase on last year, of course, but slightly down on prior projections. I think this is one of those stocks that, uh, you know, the, there are some real challenges around being able to execute on the new CEO's lean manufacturing approach. Uh, there's also some challenges around what it looks like with their competing products, particularly in that, uh, that very uh, uh, bellwether US market and whether or not they can continue to compete cost effectively. So a uh, very interesting stock. I think one of the things that everyone, of course, in Australia remembers James Hardy for is uh, the issues around uh, the, uh, the asbestos claims. And you know, we think that that uh, is no longer likely to have a material impact on earnings volatility. So it really comes down to what are the underlying markets going to be doing about pulling through demand for that stock. Okay. Uh, Mark? Uh, yeah, it's not a, it's not a company um, team investors ever uh, been interested in, but I did have a look at it and read up on it. And it's interesting. What struck me with it is it's a really good example of a company that you're seeing what's happening because of the coronavirus. Yeah, so, they, they, I mean, they're quite a solid company and they're strong in the US, New Zealand and Asia. So obviously in building materials and very heavily leveraged to uh, residential real estate, I'd argue. Uh, quite capital intensive. Yeah. And um, as, uh, as Rod said, they've got a new CEO and he's working on a lean manufacturing approach. Um, they've, they've changed their, on their outlook statement, they said they're going to cull 375 workers. They're closing manufacturing in New Zealand. Significant rationalisation. And I think it was... Their uh, budget for uh, capital expenditure for next year was about 250 million, and they're dropping that down to about 90 or something. So, right. you know, what this is a typical reaction of: well, we don't know what the effect of the coronavirus is going to be on demand in, in the US and so on. They're well positioned; they've got good brands and so on. Uh, the, the business is uh, quite solid. It has too much debt for our liking. It's about 140 percent, um, and uh, the they've got 19 manufacturing plants, so it's a fairly it's a complicated mm. business to run, I would have thought. Yeah. Um, the other thing is their end of financial year is 30th of March. So the figures they've just reported for F20 only take in a very small amount of the impact of uh, corona. Right. right? Yeah. So even though they were down, why were the earnings down? Because they're already provisioning, provisioning for uh, uh, redundancies and costs and so on that they know of already. Yeah. So if you look at it and say, well, what we're, what we're really doing is if we're going to invest in this company, we're saying... What's our return going to be over time going forward? And if I look at it on the numbers, uh, on a margin of safety for us, we're showing it returning about 6% a year at the moment. That's assuming their earnings hold up, which they won't right. yep. you know, next yeah, year. Yep. The question is how bad will they be? Yep. No idea. Yep. Uh, will they bounce back the year after? I hope so. Uh, over five years, it'll probably be absolutely fine. Right. You know, so you need okay. to be patient. For me, I, my, my, my approach is quite simple at the moment. I'm saying any companies that I'm investing in, I basically want to get a 20% compound returned on on a margin of safety which is pretty aggressive but i think it's justified in the environment we're in yeah we have unknown earnings and for me if i want 20 percent, that brings my buy price down to 11.35 right and okay. it's currently 20 dollars, but it's been as low as 12.54 uh in this recent uh pullback right, pullback so will there be a chance to buy it at that kind of price i would say probably probably yep. in my view yep. Yep. uh let's get into your stocks now and uh let's kick off with with a stock that it's interesting. We had Gemma Dale from uh, NAB Trade, and we talked to her every Friday on just what NAB Trade clients have been doing during the week. So to give you a bit of a sense of investor sentiment from, uh, from a retail point of view. And she was saying that over the last three weeks, I'm not sure if NAB, NAB Trade investors are vultures or not, they've been getting into Flight Centre with the view of, hey, 
here's a sector on its knees, here's a stock on its knees, it's got to come good sometime. Uh, Rod, what do you reckon of Flight Centre? Well, I think, you know, that deep value philosophy does have its merits, but we've got some concerns about Flight Centre, we have to say. I think the reality is that uh, while there's a good, strong net cash balance sheet at the moment, that earnings outlook is, is very, very uncertain. And I think even before the COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdown that's limited travel, uh, this business was very much structurally challenged uh, coming from, uh, you know, no shortage of pretty tech-savvy competitors who were very keen to cut flight centres lunch. So I think the reality is that uh, we wouldn't be recommending at this stage that investors be, uh, be jumping into this one. I think that, you know, some positives, the fact that the, the business raised fresh equity last month to improve the balance sheet, and they are actively working on reducing the cost base. So they've announced that they're looking at closing over 50% of their leisure travel shop fronts globally, uh, you know, with a view of cutting costs substantially. But, you know, the pandemic has really exposed this business and, key question for us is what does this look like across the next two to three years and what does that mean for shareholder value? And yeah. we're, we're, uh, we're a little bit negative on it as a result. Right. Uh, Mark? Uh, no, Flight Centre um, has been a long-term wealth winner um, in Team Invest. So uh, I actually don't own any at the moment. I, 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 the last time I owned it was a couple of years ago and it just got ridiculously overpriced. So it went up to $70 in 09, but, um, yeah. uh, which was ridiculous for its earnings. Because yeah. the business has been fairly flat the last few years, <clears throat> but the pluses are it's a founder-led company with Screw Turner, uh, major major skin in the game, uh, very very well run. We we really like the business, and uh, but you've got to buy it at a sensible price. Yeah. And and if you look at what they're doing, is the capital raising is enormous, so they're very well capitalised now. So there's no risk to the business. So there's no chance of them being a capital killer, which is great. But having said that, you've significantly diluted um, investors, yeah. and as um, as uh, Rod said, the, um, they're closing half their stores. Mm. So they're actually, what they're doing is they're resizing the business, or right-sizing the business, if you like. Yeah. Uh, the other big thing I noticed too, is Screw's come out and said that their, uh, their, their target reduction in overheads is 71%. So they're trying to take 71% out of fixed overheads and yeah. bring it down to about 60 yeah. something, 65 million a month. Right. Uh, fixed operating costs. Now that's massive. Now you could say, well, if they halve the number of stores when we come out of this, you know, assuming yeah. we get back to, we will, we'll come yeah. out of it. People yeah. will be travelling. Yeah. Um, and when they do, uh, they will have got rid of all the dead wood. They would have got rid of all the stores that were marginal or not good, and only have the best ones. They've reduced their overheads dramatically. So you then say, what will that do to the what will that do to earnings? Now, yeah. of course, we don't know, yeah. uh, but I would suggest it will be good. Right. Uh, but it's not today. Right. Um, now, going forward, how long is it going to take before the planes start flying? Well, you know, it's at the moment, I was, thinking, I was hoping June for domestic, it looks like it might be September, and yeah. we might not be flying internationally until next year. So they're down to 5 to 10% uh, earnings to what they were before yeah. on total transaction value. They're still doing fly-in, fly-out. They're doing accommodation for uh, coronavirus, uh, yeah. people in uh, hotels. They're doing, they're still, so it's not nothing, no. but they will be hemorrhaging money big time. Yep. So no risk now, but when do you buy it? Uh, I personally would want to see, not that it's all come back, but we start seeing the green shoots. Right. And then you want to buy it on a lot. It's on a P of 3.8 at the moment before the share uh, raise. So yep. uh, that doesn't mean much because their earnings are going to be smashed. Yeah. So will this business come out stronger than before? I think it probably will. And it'll probably come back on a growth path because right. they've, you know, they've shut it, cut it right down um, they're still yep. running lots of new business in the US as well on corporate travel. Yep. Uh, this is a, one of the top five travel companies in the world. 
by the right. way. Okay. Yeah, so, so it's big. So it's big. It's, a, it's international. And yeah, and I think because they're the, because they're bucks. squashing it right down, yeah. I think when we come out of it and start growing, their earnings will be really good, as in right. strong growth. Yeah. So uh, the time to buy it is not then because the market will get ahead of it. Yeah. So I think it's when we start seeing, looks like we're actually getting back to something resembling normal. Right. Uh, that's when I'd be interested and in. And under 10 bucks? Is well, it? yeah, I think, I think uh, um, it's hard to say at the moment because I think uh, maybe even less than that because of all the new shares on issue. Yeah. So you've got to bring that into account because, as well. All right, uh, second stock, um, talk about sectors that are doing it tough and have been on their knees. We go from travel to oil um, and uh, oil and gas. Uh, Santos, the second biggest independent oil and gas producer uh, in Australia. Uh, Rod, do you have an appetite for Santos? Yeah, Santos is an interesting one. I think that um, you know some of the real advantages that Santos has is uh, essentially their cost of production, which is very, very low, and, and it's coming down even lower. So the calendar year 19, uh, the break-even cost of production was $29 a barrel, and they're predicting that to come down to $25 a barrel in calendar year 20. Uh, you know, we think that there's uh, there's some strength in the balance sheet here. There's not uh, debt maturing on the balance sheet until calendar year 22, and so the ability for Santos to withstand lower oil prices or <clears throat> a scenario where oil prices are lower for longer, I think those factors stand Santos in good stead. Mm. Okay. I think some of the things that uh, yep. If we if we're looking at uh, investing in and making a recommendation around Santos, I think you know you haven't seen growth in EPS for ten years, and I think uh, you've also seen dividends being uh, you know they haven't grown. In fact, they're half what they were ten years ago. So I think uh, you know counterbalancing the fact that from a competitive perspective, we think Santos has some strengths, particularly in this current uh, very strange environment around oil to add to it all of the other strange environment factors that we're dealing with, but. Uh, you know, some of the, um, the factors for shareholders around returning capital, I think, is, uh, are some things that cause us pause on this one. Right. Okay. Mark? Uh, it's not a company we've ever um, looked at in detail. It's complex. I mean, this is the oil industry and energy yeah. and so on. It's not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I've read a bit about it and so on, but I mean, I wouldn't suggest that I know anything about it. I, I will point out a few things. And uh, as Rod said, the earnings, uh, I think he was talking dividends, but earnings are about the same as they were in 2011. Right. So they've been pretty well flat. You know, through the whole period, we're much more interested in earnings than share price because share price, it, it's a PE ratio that you're interested in. Is are the earnings justifying the price? Yeah. So the, the, the PE is actually on 10 at the moment. It's been as high as 20. So Santos is at a halved in price, but does it make a good value? Mm -hmm. Well, on our numbers, uh, we're showing a, showing a negative return at the moment with the current growth rate of about 1.92, on a, which is slow, very, which right. is what it's been. Yeah. So yeah. if it keeps doing what it's been doing, uh, on a margin of safety, we're, we're showing it um, at a price of about $2.50 if you want a 10% return. Right. And I want 20, right. so it's $1.71. Right, okay. Yeah, for All me. Right. And I wouldn't so buy, and I would, and I wouldn't buy it because I don't understand it and I have no idea whether that'd be a good thing. All I can say is historically it hasn't done well at all and the, the return on equity has been uh, very low for every year it's been below 10. It's currently 8. Right, yep. okay. So which is one of our benchmark yep. minimums yep. is yep. 10. Yep. yep. Okay, so a no for Santos there. Um, Ora, let's keep in the energy sector, but rather than a producer, a retailer. Uh, Rod, Origin Energy, major energy retailer here in Australia, last week or two has bought into a, uh, a UK-based retailer and tech business, which has sort of built, um, uh, if you like, customer relationship, customer management platforms. 
that energy retailer called Octopus and uh, has bought a 20% stake mm. in that. Um, uh, energy retailers and, and Origin, what do you think? I think that uh, acquisition is a little glimpse into the future for what Origin's board and senior executive are thinking about in terms of the challenges and how this business is facing and how they actually address those challenges. I think, you know, when, when we look at Origin, uh, there's complexity in the business. It's a little bit of a black box. Uh, so when we're trying to unpack the business and get a sense of, well, what are the key factors that we're evaluating and what drives quality, uh, it's not easy to actually distill. Uh, so that increases risk for investors. I think, you know, we saw the most recent result where profit was down 25%. So, uh, but having said that, there's low capex, good cash generation, solid production performance through the APLNG project. So there's some, some interesting upsides, but Octopus I think is a really interesting one. So, you know, $500 million for a 20% stake in that business. Uh, that's uh, robust would be the right way to describe that. Uh, you know, and really that, the model that Octopus applies, which is all about a superior customer service, a superior billing service, has seen them capture a 5% market share in the uh, UK energy retailing market since 2016. Yeah, it's sort of so like I a dis that... disruptor in energy in the UK, isn't it? Like, like the banks are investing yes, in disruptors and fintechs here. Do you get a sense that that's what Origin is thinking about with Octopus? I, I think so, Koshi. I, I think that when you look at uh, the most recent half results where uh, Origin's customer losses were 0.6% versus AGL's gain in customer numbers of 3.1%, you can very clearly see what the issues are that Origin need to address in terms of customer acquisition. And so, uh, you know, we think that that octopus acquisition could be quite interesting in terms of addressing that issue for them. And uh, I think that will have a, a positive impact on Origin. Okay, so are you liking it at this price? Uh, at this price, not quite. I think right. that um, what we need to see is more consistency in terms of those customer acquisition numbers. Uh, we need to see uh, you know, further reduction in, in gear, the gearing ratios in particular, which is what we're probably concerned about in this one. Yeah. Mark, when you um, when you start losing customers and your competitor is adding them, that's not good. You've got to do something about it. Don't <laughs> that's right. That's a bad that's a bad trend. Uh, I, I read uh, the releases on Octopus. I read the UK one as well, and they actually said over there that this was going to make them a unicorn, which I imagine therefore this must be a private company. Yeah. Um, and because Origins paid so much, it's given them. It's obviously bumped their valuation. So if they're a unicorn, does that mean they're not making a profit? I think that's. Uh, I think that's usually the way it is, isn't it? So, so they paid a lot that's of money. That's a bit for harsh it. at times, <laughs> I think, Mark. Yeah, but there, as far as Origin goes, another one we wouldn't be interested in. It's um, it's a mediocre company. It's probably yeah. the best way to describe it. Flat earnings, less than one percent average growth for six years. Yeah. You know, it's just pathetic. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, return on equity is 8.9, doesn't make our 10. And, never has, and never done 10. And regulators get involved. In, that's right, regulators yeah. involved. That's it's, yeah, so at a margin of safety, we're showing uh, you'd have to pay, if you wanted a 10% return, $2.51. It's about right. half where it is now, if you wanted it, but I'd have zero interest. Right, okay. And and that yeah. regulation filter when you add, yeah. add over it, that's well, that goes into the that goes into the risk into, yeah. into the risk category. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Okay, <clears> so I know for origin. Yeah, sorry, Rob. I was just going to say that, you know, that we're likely to see some pretty substantial change in uh, the East Coast energy markets in the next five years. And that's just going to lead to more regulatory intervention. I think that's going to be a real headwind for Origin as well. Yep. Okay. All right. Avoid Origin. So did badly before the headwind. Yeah. <laughs>
That's right. <laughs> All right, our fourth stock uh, out of the 10 that you've suggested for the call. Um, our largest waste management company, 6,000 employees, 95 councils and 150,000 business customers. That's a lot for waste management, isn't it? And we're talking about CleanAway. Uh, Rod, uh, views on CleanAway. Um, results, most recent results were okay, but investors marked it yeah. down, didn't they? They did, and you can see why when you pull the results apart, I think, Koshi. I mean, you know, broadly speaking, business like this uh, is going to have exposure to the economy in, in, uh, in equal measure. And so you would expect revenue to grow in line with GDP. Uh, you know, CleanAway have had a really strong M&A and associated cost out strategy. So they've been mopping up the competitors pretty assertively, excuse the pun. Uh, one of the things I think that's a positive is their cash conversion. So they're getting very high cash conversion rates. So good returns on equity, which is, uh, sorry, the, the return on equity is low uh, because of that M&A strategy and the, the way that that cash is being deployed. So right. gearing is still low at 15%. Uh, it's not a cheap stock uh, in terms of, of pricing. Um, and it's been modestly profitable, uh, you know, the last five years, it's not been something that stands out. And, and when you unpack that, you have a look at well, where are the best margins in this business? And the best margins are in health services, liquid and hazardous waste. Um, you know, the, the lowest margins, are they, they do have quite a lot of exposure to hotel operators, travel sector governments, very difficult to reprice on the upside with those sort of mm. um, very much commodity style services. So. Uh, you know, a key question for us in this is is how long can that M&A strategy continue? How many more competitors are there to soak up? Yep, yep. And <clears throat> when do you get the critical mass to start earning a, a decent quid, Mark? Mm. Well, I think the point yep. about uh, the uh, hotels and so on, which, you know, largely stopped, yep. you know, so that part of their business has probably really been smashed. So councils, oh, it would be, would be business as usual uh, for councils, one would assume. So the earnings, they've done about 8% average for the last six years. Yep. Um, on uh, EPS growth, which is okay. Shell um, on equity, five, you know, very poor. Um, we, these fit into the mediocre category for us, so it's not a capital killer, but it's a mediocre majority company. Um, I think their earnings will get, get uh, hit, and it's actually not cheap. It's on a 24 PE, which is you know, quite high for the uh, earnings rate, particularly in this environment. Yep. Um, we've, we've got it down um, on a margin of safety for a 10% return at $1.15 which is about 60 cents or so below where it is now. It's yeah. been down to $1.40 so far, right. uh, but no interest at all because it's just a mediocre company and well, there's, better, there's, there's a lot of, better, lot of better businesses out there to invest yeah. in. And, that, and that's the issue, isn't it, Rod? Mark, Mark makes a very good point that, um, yes, you've, uh, for the first four stocks, anyhow, Flight Center, Sandoz, Origin, Clean Away, and our stock of the day, James Hardy, don't like any of them. That's not to say they're terrible businesses, there are just better opportunities out there. And that, that's what investors have got to look at in this market, don't they? Where, where are they going to get the biggest bang for their buck and, and the simplest and easiest way to make money? Yeah, agree. I, I think, you know, at this time when we're having these sort of conversations, certainly one of the things that we're talking about inside our investment team at Climb is that, you know, how much of the lens through which you're looking at some of these stocks is a, is a negative lens just simply because of those external environmental factors about how terrible markets are. So I think there's 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 almost a um, you know an investor psyche factor to weigh up there. But but you're 100% right. I mean, you know, really, what is the alternative uh, investment strategy for 
for you know for retail investors in particular looking at trying to find the right stock and mm. something like CleanAway, the fundamentals, the drivers of that business are are strong. Obviously, you know you're going to continue to see demand for the services that they're offering, but there's just not enough in it, not enough in it for investors for mm. to to get them interested in terms of you know either capital growth or dividend yield at, at the current price. Yep. Yep. Really good point. Mm. All right, let's move on to our fifth stock, um, a West Australian-based yeah. property group, residential yes. and commercial property developer, uh, Cedar Woods Properties. Don't know much about it, Mark. Uh, I know, I know very well. Right. Yep. Okay. So we've we've uh, known them for ten years. Yeah. Um, it's uh, extremely well managed business. Basically, what they do is they they buy up corridors of land or large land holdings in corridors uh, for uh, city expansions. Right. So they look at it and say, well, you know, this area is going to grow, so we'll buy up the farmland right. and work on the long game right. of getting it converted. So it's a, the big track, yeah, big yeah. developments. Yep, yep. And yep. Uh, a lot of the, um, uh, founder money in it. They're, all the directors and senior management have, right. um, you know, I think they own most, half, more than half the company, I think. Right. Mainly, the, insiders. mainly do, only WA or? No, 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 no. They're, they're, well? They were no. originally and then they diversified out of WA right. uh, into Victoria and Queensland and South Australia. Right. Nothing in New South Wales. Right. Um, and they've always said New South Wales was too expensive and they weren't, didn't have the opportunities. Right. They're very, very well disciplined. What they do is they'll, they, um, they, their debt goes up and down, but never high. It's currently 31% debt to equity. And they'll take advantage of uh, opportunities. They're opportunistic on buying, and they take a long-term view to it. So right. they've got a land bank, which is quite large. I, I don't know what the current value is, but it's big. Yep. So they've, they've got a very strong asset base to the business. And then what they do is they develop it progressively. They don't go in and do massive development. They'll, they'll, they'll do some themselves, yeah. and they'll sell those off, and then they'll do some more, and then they'll sell locks to people. To do, and you know, very, very cautious. Yep. So they're never going to get caught with having you know, like a high-rise that's... Uh, uh, just finished, just as the recession hits. Yeah, it won't happen to them. Right. So very, very disciplined, very well run. But you've got to buy it at the right time. Right. And if you look at the GFC, in the GFC it went down to. I was just looking there. The low was a dollar thirty, and the PE was four. Mm. In the GFC at the moment, the PE is eleven. It's had a high of twenty three, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, for their earnings, totally right. ridiculous. Yeah. And um, a low of. Um, <laughs> Uh, 7.95, which is still too high at the moment. So uh, I used to be a shareholder and I sold it because it got so ridiculously overvalued. Right. Okay. Uh, I'd be delighted to buy it again. Yep. But it's a cyclical business, uh, very, very dependent on uh, real estate market and residential particularly. Yep. Uh, they don't do high rise. Yep. It's all houses and so on. And at the right time. So depending on how our coronavirus pans out and right. whether there's an impact on um, residential real estate and so on, who knows. Yep. If there is... Yep. then that PE will come right down. Right. And if it comes back to something like a four or something like that, I'd definitely buy it. Right. So $4.28 no, is too expensive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say the, about a dollar, uh, probably uh, about $2, $2.80. Right. Okay. Rod? Very precise, Mark. Well done. <laughs> it, <laughs> is in my, it is in my model. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, we... We like this business as well. We, we think it's a very well-run developer. I think Mark teased out quite well there some of the some of the things that I guess when we've looked at this one, we were thinking about in the you know there isn't that um, uh, that exposure to the New South Wales market, which you could argue has been the best performing real estate market for some time. And so I think that has marked the stock down. When when our analysts are looking at this one, you know one of the things that uh, in our quant filters that stood out is the fact that it's trading below book value, which is attractive from yep. our perspective. And so that mm. uh, that actually you know, puts it to the top of the list in terms of 
wanting to do some more work and get a sense of what it looks like. But I think the issue for us at the moment is um, is not just that, uh, you know, we don't have a, a normal kind of um, return from a, a downturn, if you like, in front of us now. You know, we've got uh, some big policy decisions that need to be made by the government about things like immigration that I think are going to very much impact on housing demand. And I think that's a that's a headwind for Cedar Wood. So, you know, if we were if we were sitting across the table from from management here, we'd be asking about, you know, what do you what do your current demand trends look like? What are your sales inquiry levels? What, um, you know, is the downturn uh, impacting those? And on the flip side, uh, the other side of the balance sheet, if you like, is uh, is this actually throwing up any opportunities, particularly in underrepresented markets like New South Wales, that might actually allow the business to diversify and uh, and sort of strengthen, I guess, for future. Right. Okay. All right. So, uh, so not at this stage because it's uh, uh, a bit too murky. Um, the uh, the future. It's clarity. The yeah, lack of clarity exactly on right. earnings going forward. Quality yeah. business though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Couldn't good. go broke. I would argue this okay. is bulletproof, bulletproof business. But also one for investors to sort of stick in their book yeah. to say yeah, good, good. if you're interested in in good property developers in the future, this is a really well run one. All right, let's get on to our sixth stock and uh, mark a telco this time. Yes. TP, TPG and that can consumer and business internet and mobile market? Yes, yeah, this is another one that uh, has been very, very lar- loomed large in Team Invest right. uh, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our members, most of our members have owned it. Uh, quite a few pulled out once they had the problem with the, um, firstly when the Huawei got banned. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because what TB, t- just stepping back a bit, TBG is a uh, founder run business with uh, uh, David Teo, yep. who's a brilliant entrepreneur. He's yep. built this from nothing. Yeah. To uh, to uh, what is it now? Uh, Six point five billion wow. uh, business. So you know he's a brilliant entrepreneur. Um, he's very he's obviously very good at reading the tea leaves and um, yeah. managing growth. He had a brilliant business concept, I thought, which was to get into five G before Telstra and Optus, being fast and limp, nimble, yep. using Huawei hardware, which was cheaper and better than Ericsson and the others, uh, and get a march on them. And they're using small cell network, which they could put up really cheaply. There was a really compelling argument, you know, to uh, really gain market share on Telstra and Optus. Yeah. Then the gov- then two things happened. Firstly, Huawei got banned on the security yep. concerns, probably reasonable, mm-hmm. uh, which killed that. And then the big one was they were merging with Vodafone, and it was a very good merger because Vodafone has um, lots of uh, mobile customers, and TPG has a lot more um, uh, internet customers. So there was a really good yep. uh, 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 synergy between the two organisations. Plus, Vodafone's been losing money in Australia forever, and basically, was the, the view was they were, they were they were they were merging into TPG and let TO run it, even though uh, uh, yeah. the CEO from Vodafone was coming in as CEO. But effectively, they were hooking up with um, TPG to be a, a serious third force in the market. Well, the ACCC didn't like that, yeah. and I mean, they're, they're idiots. Yeah. It's the only way I can describe it. It's anti-competitive, yeah. and then basically they uh, ba- they blocked the uh, the merger for a year or whatever, and now it's been approved on appeal. But the whole opportunity time where TO had a position to be able to really compete strongly and build share is gone. Right. Um, and we really don't know what he's, going to, what he's going to do now. Interestingly, the share price hasn't suffered much. It's been, it's been around the, um, uh, it's currently $7, been $8, $9. And it was interesting when on the, on the 12 month chart, if we can just bring that up, Sarah, the, um, uh, it did do the pullback with the rest of the market. Then had quite a good bet. Bounce back uh, yeah. in April with everything else, but almost back to the 
to, to the March level and has just dropped back in the in the recent yeah, so, so it's still got good earnings. I mean, it's got a good a good business, but it yeah. has a couple of headwinds. One of them is um, NBN because yeah. the NBN's forcing the shift off um, uh, the old ISDN network and so on. So yep. the, everyone, including Telstra, is getting squeezed on margin on um, on the internet. So that's a that's a fairly big headwind that the whole industry's got. You know, the NBN yeah. here to save us. And uh, it's a quality business, but I sold it about, I sold it uh, uh, just after the Huawei uh, right, ban. Because okay. to me, what it did is it stuffed up the, the plan which I yeah. bought. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, I don't, and I still have no visibility on yeah. what they're going to do now. And then, and then the ACCC, the, well, opportun- that was a, oh, the that opportunity was, yeah. cost for oh. the delay is really well, it's, 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 it's big. Yeah. So they've lost the op- they've lost the timing opportunity. Now yeah. he's a smart operator and he's got a business in Singapore, uh, which is going quite well. They're the uh, fourth operator in Singapore, yeah. and they, he was they're going to they're going to probably list that and give it in specie to Australian shareholders, I think, or something like that. Right. Um, so there's good things about it, and a lot of team invest members still have it. They haven't sold it. Right. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm a bit more I was a bit more reactive than most. Right. Okay. Rod, what do you reckon of TVG? Uh, has by a long way been uh, the best performing telco on the ASX for the last 10 years. And so I think, you know, that's reflected uh, in Mark's passionate uh, expose, I guess, of the strategy, which um, which has been executed incredibly well by by the CEO and, and by the management team. You know, it's been a fantastic business. I think, it is, you know, our view, though, is in, in uh, looking at this in a bit of detail that uh, they are at a bit of a crossroads now. And, and the, key, the key change, of course, is the fact that uh, the, the models changing from you know the, the infrastructure model that they used to run to a model that uh, you know as Mark pulled out is is uh, being based on that common NBN infrastructure and so what that's going to do is it's going to essentially uh, force quite a bit of homogenization around uh, around uh, services that can be offered and fundamentally then it becomes a commodity it becomes a price game around uh, around how TPG can basically take market share off other players. I think, um, you know, fundamentally, the size of the prize is fixed and all of the telco players in the market are competing for that prize. So that probably tells you which way pricing is going to go in terms of those uh, new offers that are coming out. And, and what we saw as a little bit of a harbinger of, of some of the things that we're concerned about is that in the most recent results, a 6% decline in EBITDA. And that was really about that switch from TPG's own infrastructure to NBN. So... We think that the history of the stock is absolutely fantastic. It's, as I say, it's been one of the best success stories on the ASX. Uh, can that skill set that's carried that business for the last 10 years be applied to a very, very different operating environment going forward? Time will tell. Okay. All right. So no question about the, pass, pass. the founder. And, no, no, uh, no. It's yeah. fabulous. Got to pass from both of you and... Uh, just see what happens when things get a bit clearer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I'd be delighted to buy back in. I really would. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right, um, let's go from a telco to Australia's largest listed childcare centre operator. And, of course, education has been uh, in a bit of turmoil. Today we should know a bit more about how that education pathway is going to get schools back open uh, on a national basis. Uh, G8 Education. Um, Rod, what do you reckon of, of GEM? Yeah, GA's been a, a good one in terms of its growth story. I mean, obviously, the fundamentals are very, very strong, stable sector, government support, uh, really good growth prospects. Uh, you know, so the, the fundamentals in a business like GA are very strong. I think some of the challenges, though, and so, you know, when we're once again applying our quality filters over a stock like GA, 
it doesn't come to the surface. And some of the reasons why is that the childcare sector itself, it's it's very competitive, number one, but it's also undifferentiated. So it's very difficult for any organisation to differentiate uh, around their strategy. And their current return on capital is pretty poor. So uh, GA pre the COVID lockdown uh, was 10%. Now, having said that, it's the largest provider in the space. So it does, uh, it does actually carry some weight. And I think uh, you know, with the pressure that's come on from COVID lockdowns, there'll be a lot of opportunities that are thrown up around opportunities for GA to acquire more businesses. I think one of the things that, that concerns us about GA being very frank is that uh, there's been some challenges around some of their historical acquisitions and uh, including some queries with the takeovers panel. Now, there have been a number of board changes and management changes since then, uh, but you know, culture does take a while to change. And from our perspective, those sort of things are pretty much non-negotiable. And so we would want to see evidence that uh, the new G8 is kind of different to what uh, what okay. was in place prior. All right, G8 2.0. Mark, what do you reckon? I uh, don't like <laughs> it at all. Um, interestingly, when they first listed, I remember they said they weren't like, what was the one in the GFC that went broke? Uh, uh, ABC. 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 Right. They, weren't ABC. Like, they weren't like with, ABC. With Eddie. Yeah. Yep. And, they, <laughs> and, and I remember they said that they were, they were, they were going to use very, very strict discipline on yeah. how much they paid, what multiples. Yeah. Because what, they're a roll-up. So what they're doing is they're buying private, typically private mm-hmm. businesses yeah. and they're buying them at a private PE, you know, like five or six or three or four, and then they get the, the uplift. So yeah. if you keep doing that, your earnings keep growing. So... The businesses don't have to be growing, but you're just yeah. adding cheap businesses at a higher multiple. Yeah. Now that model works for a while. It tends to get into trouble. When we, I'm much more wary of those models generally. I'm not talking yeah. about just childcare. Yeah. But if you look at their earnings, the first or well, since 2010, I've got 10 years here. They had stellar growth up until 2015. So really steep um, mm. growth uh, line of earnings. Since then, it's been in a steep downward trend. Right. So every single year has been less than the year before over the last five years on right. earnings, yep. which is terrible. Yep. And then if you look at, okay, well, let's look at the rest of it. Well, hello, look at this, debt's gone up. So in the same period, it's now 130% debt to equity, more than nearly triple what it was in F19. Yep. So the debt's gone up enormously yep. and they've issued a lot of extra shares. Right. Now they're issuing shares as part consideration when they buy these businesses, yep. but they're also borrowing money. Then you look at the return on equity, well, hello, hello, it's gone from 15, which was good, down to eight. Yep. So the return on equity has been going down. Return on capital has been going down. Yep. You know, this is a business that's in, um, I think, quite serious decline. Now, I haven't looked any further because why would I bother? Right. It's yeah, the way yeah. I look at it. If I did look further, I would suspect they've been paying yep. a lot more uh, for the uh, childcare centres they buy, as a guess, um, because they, if they want to keep growing, it's like you can't force the market. You've got to pay what other someone else will pay, otherwise you don't yep. buy anything. Yep. So you, you can get caught in your own rhetoric on how you're going to grow a business like this. Yeah. Agreed from uh, both the experts there, from both Rod and Mark. All right, uh, stock number eight, Volpara Health Tech. Um, 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 sort of really a, a medical tech business in imaging, um, analytics. Um, Rod carved a a pretty good niche in, in that breast cancer area and is a real specialist there. Yeah, our smaller companies team really likes Volpara. I think the only reason that it's screened out for us at this stage is it's pre, pre-revenue. Uh, but apart from that, or pre-break even, sorry. Uh, but, you know, their, their software uh, is outstanding, I think. Um, and they're, they're, as a business, they're doing some great things. So we think there's a very bright future for Volpara. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very large addressable market. It's seeing some good growth in that uh, enormous North American market where there'll be very strong demand. I think 
some of the things that cause us to pause, I guess, when we're running this through our, our quant filters once again, but what's the impact of AI imaging algorithms going to be, to be in this market and, and how can Volpara stay ahead of that? Uh, and it is all, also trading at 18 times annualized revenue, which is pretty high considering the current cash burn rate of 16 million per annum. So as it gets closer to break even, uh, we do like Volpara and it's the sort of things that um, we would want to learn a little more about what the revenue opportunity is in the US and uh, both near term and long term and how that's going to grow, what that growth profile looks like. Okay. So like it, but as a watch at the moment, rather than yeah. invest, you, you need a bit more information? Yeah, we need, we need to get it past that break even point and then we, um, we do like it as a, as a, as a prospect. Okay. Right. Um, it's way below uh, our minimum minimum requirements. So, like Rod, when he said his filters take out you know, companies that don't make a profit, right? So do we. Right. Uh, so we, we we want at least four years, you know, of, right. uh, of 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 earnings to be able to know how well they're managing it. Because I think even if their uh, software and their products are brilliant, it doesn't mean, and even if there's a massive addressable market, it doesn't mean management can effectively turn that into. Uh, ultimately, earnings and growth for uh, shareholders. Right. Um, yeah. You know, there's plenty of great business models that have been stuffed up by bad management, and you don't know what the management's really like until you start getting the runs on the board. Yeah. And now, uh, for us at the moment, if you look, at, it's only had three years, yeah. so it may be fabulous. I'm, I, yeah. I know nothing about it. All yeah. I can say is that the you know, first year was my, uh, minus 76% return on equity, which means they lost 76% of their capital, yeah. which means they would have to borrow done uh, capital raisings because they don't have any debt. Following year, 196, 196%, so they need 200% double yeah. of more money they had to raise. Yeah. And then last year was 82. Right. So that's in, that's in, you could say, well, the last year's improved. And perhaps in um, another two or three or four years, yeah. um, they'll prove that they actually have a good business. But for us, way too soon. But it, 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 yeah. it, uh, it, it's a, unless you want to treat it as being specky. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because that's really what it is, yeah. in our view. And similar to what Rob was saying, uh, Rod's team has done uh, the work into a good company, yeah. but you want to see it break even first before before, before getting along. Yeah. Um, and I'd stock um, a little uh, resource stock spun out of Western Mining, I think, Illumina, wasn't it? Um, wasn't it, Rod? And um, yep. a bit of a pure Illumina bauxite play. Uh, and Illumina is... Yep starting to, uh, as a commodity, starting to kick up a bit? Yeah, more recently, I think some of the things that we like about this one, very low cost producer. I think that, you know, in these in these markets, uh, you have to be at the bottom end of the global cost curve, otherwise you just really can't compete. So uh, we like that, we like the strong balance sheet. We think that that combination of factors is that, is that they're well positioned to weather the current storm. Uh, I think some of the challenges around this one AWC, they only own 40% of the asset. The other 60% is owned by Alcoa. Yep. Uh, Alcoa is a separate conversation. I mean, they are a company that's carrying too much debt. In the last two years, you've seen Alcoa's share price drop from 65 US dollars to 8 US dollars. And so, uh, you know, that is creating a little bit of an overhang, I guess, in terms of concern over Illumina in our view. Uh, if we look at the results, and, and we, we had a good look at this one for, for today's discussion, and uh, in the December half, uh, AWC reported a earnings down 50%. So pretty challenging in that December half. And the reason why is that the Illumina price was down uh, just over $100 a tonne versus prior corresponding period. And the current spot price is nearly $100 below that as well. So I think there's some uh, there's some real 
headwinds there. And so we'll see in this half, we'll see an even weaker result than what we saw in the December half. Right. Okay. Um, obviously, energy costs are a major part of the equation here. Uh, while energy, uh, energy prices are, are low, that actually benefits AWC. Um, so there are some positives for balance sheet, um, low cost producer, some pretty big headwinds. And the big question for us is that so many of AWC's peers are operating at break even or just below break even, but we haven't seen any moves globally around reducing supply. So it's a bit of a Mexican standoff at the moment about what's going to happen with the alumina and aluminium price and who's going to be left standing as a result. Mm. Mark? Um, way too hard for yeah. us. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, so you know, for all the reasons uh, Rod mentioned, I think the fact that they're a minority shareholder in the operation with the US companies is a problem because it means they can't really control their destiny at that level. Yep. Uh, but also they, they're still totally subject to the commodity price, which the commodity price cycle you can't control either. So, yep. uh, I mean, it's, it's on a fairly low PE. It's on 5.8 uh, at the moment, which you'd say is low. But I was looking at historically, apart from a few years where it was up to 45, <laughs> um, it's often had lows of uh, 6, 7, 8 in, in, a, in a given year. So it's never been... Uh, that popular by the, by the look of it, um, and it doesn't have much, it virtually has no debt, which is uh, which is encouraging. Right. So it's it maybe worth investigating for someone if you're interested in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like like resource stocks, I'll put a caveat on it. Peter O'Connor from Shaw, yeah. the uh, resource analyst there. Um, we talked about the whole resource sector yesterday. He saw this as a specky buy uh, because is quite bullish on the alumina price yeah. over, over the next 12 months or so. So I just throw that in for, for what it's worth. And uh, let's finish up, Rod, with uh, with the big Australian. If you you want a portfolio of resource stocks, you can't go by, the BA, by BHP, can you? What do you think of the big Australian at the moment? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's hard to go past something like BHP anyway. I mean, when, you, when you're screening on on quality, uh, so many of the measures that, uh, that uh, are assessed really uh, come up very strongly when you're looking at the HP. Um, there's probably not much we could add as climb. It's, it's probably the second highest, second most covered stock in the country behind CBA. Uh, but, you know, some of the things that we really like about it, what are the strengths, uh, you know, great portfolio mix compared with other resource stocks, long life, low cost assets, generating very high free cash flows, even in a downturn, you know, we're very supportive of the recent CNO CEO announcement. I think that's a great step forward for the business. Uh, there's some very positive steps that BHP have made around ESG. And I think there's, there's obviously more to be made, but I think they are making some good steps there as well. And fantastic capital discipline. So, you know, great business and has benefited from outstanding management and uh, development of a number of these very significant projects globally for, for a long period of time. I think, you know, the view's not all rosy. I, I, I'm sorry, I, just very quickly, the, the view's not all rosy. I think if you look at Olympic Dam, uh, consumed huge amounts of CapEx and management time. So there's, there's probably some issues there that still need to be resolved. Um, Bass Strait oil fields in decline. Um, the growth in the near term from most of their assets will be incremental. It won't be, uh, won't be sort of greenfield. So fantastic business, uh, continued very, very strong earnings profile. Uh, but, you know, over the, over the next sort of five to seven years, uh, there'll be some questions asked about what that future looks like. Okay. Uh, add it to your portfolio, do you think, at this price? Yeah, it's, it's in, in a lot of the client portfolios. So we, we're very supportive. We think it's a great stock. Okay. All right, Mark. Uh, very different view. 
right. a team invest. We've, we, we have um, not invested in BHP at all and have, uh, we, and from a capital management point of view, I think uh, recently, the last three years, they've been, they've been good, but prior to that, they were terrible. You know, they've been billions and billions of dollars on bad acquisitions at the top of the market. And if you look at their 10 years earnings, uh, 10 years ago, they were earning $2, uh, th- 2011 was $3.30, it's currently $3.17. So earnings have sort of been, yeah, like that, and yeah. flat over 10 years, they're the same. Yeah. So uh, depending on when you bought it, I'm not saying you couldn't make money trading BHP, buying it when it was low and so on, but it is, as far as uh, total shareholder return, it's been terrible. Right. There was a 10-year period through the mining boom, boom where it was actually negative, the total return, which yeah. was an appalling statistic for me. At the same time, Monodelphus, which is the uh, engineering services company that supplied services to them, did slightly under 50% compound return. Right. So it goes to who would you rather have, the miner or the company that supplies the picks and shovels and services? We've always gone for the service companies. Right. They always outperform the miners, the good ones. Oh, so you've got to pick the right ones. Uh, and at the end of the day, to be fair to BHP, obviously they're a victim of um, uh, commodity prices completely. Now, they've yeah. had a, they've been, it's been very fortunate the last two or three years, I would argue. And the latest rhetoric that's coming out of China is a bit scary, mm. uh, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our uh, 10 stocks with our, our stock of the day, number 11. Um, basically, a, a pass from both our panellists on everything today. Uh, Flight Centre, Santos, <laughs> Origin, Clean Away. Uh, Cedar Woods property, if it got down to $2.80, Mark would be very happy to get back into it. Uh, a no on uh, TPG. Uh, seeing how it it develops in the the new environment, a no for G8 Education, Volpara, um, uh, something to really look at according to Rod, well Rod uh, run company, but when it gets to break even, then worth looking at then in terms of uh, profits. No for Illumina, Rod likes BHP, Mark doesn't. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for uh, joining us, Rod Bristow. If you want to send in. Any stocks, uh, you can email them, the call at ausbiz.com.au. You suggest the 10 stocks. We really appreciate you doing that. And make sure...